You've dreamed of building a family, but the journey hasn't been easy. I'm Dr. Laura Shaheen, a reproductive endocrinologist helping people build families every day. On our new podcast, Baby or Bust, we'll be learning from both reproductive experts and people who have faced challenges just like yours. Join us every week for Baby or Bust, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to follow us so you never miss an episode. Today on the Zabecast, the debut of Super Bowl stories, the most retold legends of the big game, starting with the mother of all underdogs, Joe Willie Nader. We've got gambling de-gentleman Mr. X. He'll run through some prop bets, get an early lean on the game, and explain the error of recency smell test and more in gambling. All that plus another form of fake news exposed. You've got 45 minutes to kill, then buckle up and let's go. Oh, here we go. The word I will use is stunned and impressed. Tiger Woods played in all four rounds at Torrey Pines, shot three under par. Ooh, didn't Kramer once say that? Three and a par. That's what the professionals shoot, if they're lucky. Tied for 23rd, and wow, this after four, count them, four back surgeries in the last 15 months. Hello, everybody. January 29, 2018. Welcome to the Zabecast. I am Steve Zabin, a radio lifer. This is all I do. This is all I've ever done. You may feel pity for me. But the benefits of it is... I'm going to the Super Bowl this week, starting on Wednesday, and I understand from my weather bug app, it's going to be damn cold up there. Here's the question I have. How should I dress for the Super Bowl in terms of clothing and in terms of layers? Because I don't plan on spending any time whatsoever outside. As much as possible. I might have to stand in line outside a restaurant, and if it's four degrees, that's going to impact my choices. But I don't want to wear my Under Armour long leg uh, underwear indoors all day when I'm in a comfy environment. Oh, and speaking of comfy environment, the Radio Row this year is apparently at the Mall of America. Like, in the mall. Like, almost near the food court. I am going to gain 39 pounds this week if Radio Row is right next to a Cinnabon and a Sarku Japan and a, and a Ruby Thai. Hey, you really know a lot of these names of these restaurants. Uh, or these, not restaurants, these food court poison dispensaries. Why, yes, I do know a lot of those names because, oh, I love the food court. Anyway, Tiger Woods, he was happy with his week at Torrey Pines, and we're a long way from these days, aren't we? You guys take enough freaking pictures already? Did on the tee, now you're doing it now. That was the surly, hyper-competitive Tiger at his peak. Now we've got Tiger Woods, who's just happy to be out there. So, let's start the week with uh, our Super Bowl Stories series in which I will take one well-chronicled chapter in the big game off the field, and I will sort of retell the story, and maybe you guys know the story, maybe you don't know the story. We'll start with the biggest one of all, Joe Namath guaranteeing victory in Super Bowl Three. I think the most iconic 
piece of moving imagery in NFL history. Not photographed, but the most iconic piece of moving imagery is one of Joe Namath trotting off the field in Miami after their stunning upset of the Baltimore Colts, in which they are 18-and-a-half-point underdogs. And Joe Namath jogging off the field, wagging his finger in the NFL Films clip. It's only a few seconds long, and it's not exactly well-framed, and it's kind of jostling as the cameraman is trying to get the shot. But to me, that is the quintessential NFL Films image of all time. And as I think about that moment, now how far the Super Bowl has come, once upon a time, or not once upon a time, but nowadays you would have him standing around, Joe Namath, standing around waiting to be fitted for a XXL t-shirt they're selling to put over his shoulder pads. He'd have a hat put on him. There'd be confetti raining down on him. He'd be getting hugged by all his family members. There'd be little kids running around and everything else. And there'd be a stage that's being hastily prepared out on the field to give the trophy ceremony for the game. And there's nothing wrong with that per se, but there was just something perfect about Joe Namath having bragged or He said guaranteed, but Joe Namath jogging off the field, having fulfilled his prophecy, wagging that number one finger. Absolutely fantastic. Do you know that there is now Super Bowl music as well? Take a listen to the Lombardi Trophy Overture by David Robidoux. Quick story. I've got a new mixer. I don't know if you can tell on this particular podcast if you can hear it. But the sound quality is good, isn't it? Sound good right now, right? Yeah. And this music is an actual stereo because I was using the wrong connectors, unbalanced connectors that just dumped everything into mono. You can get this, by the way, if you subscribe to Spotify. Just look up NFL Films. They've got all of the NFL Films archives and all the musical albums and all the production. It's really quite remarkable. I once geeked out over the fact that I was able to find on CD like a 12-disc anthology called Autumn Thunder. And it came in this came in a, a folder, basically. That had all the CDs in it and the folder, for lack of a better word, a, a sort of elongated CD sleeve. It had a leather cover on it, sort of like an actual football surface as well. They now play this uh, proceeding up to the trophy se- uh, you know, giveaway and everything else. It's good stuff. Okay, so back to Super Bowl three, which was not even called Super Bowl three, the first time when it was actually played, Jets and Colts, it was just the AFL-NFL championship game. And, of course, the AFL lost the first two of those games. And so this was yet another game in which the NFL and the Colts, who were 13-1, and 14-game season, were expected to dominate and destroy the upstart AFL Jets. 
But during the week, in fact, on the evening of January 9th, yes, the Super Bowl was in early January. On the evening of January 9th, Namath attended a dinner at the Playhouse Room in Miami Villas. The Touchdown Club was honoring him as pro football's most outstanding player for 1968. And During the course of the events that night, when Namath spoke at one point, someone in the back of the room shouted out, The Colts are going to kick your ass! Namath then responded, Hey, I got news for you. We're going to win on Sunday. I'll guarantee you, he said. The guarantee, as it then would become known, was not planned nor premeditated. It just came sort of naturally that night to Joe in the context of his remarks. And they were only prompted in part by the heckler. Now, there is no actual recording. There is no cameras at this particular event. And the story itself did not make huge news whatsoever until, of course, after he was able to pull off the stunning upset. The more iconic thing from that Super Bowl leading up to it as well, if you're talking about memorable, awesome images, has to be the fact that the following day, while sitting poolside, with reporters at the Galt Ocean Mile Hotel in Fort Lauderdale, where the Jets were staying, Namath held impromptu court with a bunch of reporters to back up his previous night's guarantee. He said the Colts were not only beatable, but their quarterback, Earl Morrill, who had been the NFL's MVP, would have a tough time making the Jets third string. He was perfect. He was engaging. He was... Joe Cool, he said, we're a better team than Baltimore. Sports Illustrated reporter Tex Maul observed that Namath reminded him of a bit of Dean Martin in his relaxed confidence and the droop of his heavy-lidded eyes. In attendance for that impromptu poolside press conference was one Brent Musburger, who recently talked about the photo of him huddled around Namath with a couple of adoring fans behind him waiting for an autograph. Poolside, at the Galt Ocean Mile Hotel in Fort Lauderdale, Brent Musburger told Dan Patrick on Dan's radio show, this is what the photo meant to him. Before Super Bowl III, that's the only photograph that I ever had autographed by somebody. And um, I was looking at the other day, Sports Illustrated came in and did a piece on Walter Yost was the uh, photographer, Mm -hmm. he and Neil Leifert. And they were doing a special on on Walter, and of course that's the photograph that I remember. Okay, my ego, I'm in the I'm in the thing sitting around Joe at poolside. But if you look at the rest of it and you think about it, what what that photograph means? First of all, you've got Joe with that great, great, engaging smile, and he's never lost it. He's here in Jupiter, Florida. He's so nice to people. He used to play here at the Loxahatchee Club and uh, ride his daughters around in a golf cart, uh, and it's. You look at that smile, and there's a lady. In fact, there's two ladies in behind him in that chaise lounge. They wanted autographs, and he obliged. Now, we're talking, we're just talking a couple days before the Super Bowl. Everybody has to understand that is a quarterback getting ready to go to the Super Bowl, and those are writers. So today, you would never get close to anybody, uh, a quarterback at that time, uh, if you were a newspaper man. In fact, you'd see cameras around him and, and the digital apparatus that now records all those things. So the change and the growth in 
People forget that that was the week that Pete Rozelle said, okay, we're going to call it the Super Bowl. It, uh, it had been the uh, NFL-AFL championship game for the first couple of bowls that I had covered as a writer. I had moved to radio and was transitioning then, and Ed Ingalls has kind of cropped off in the back of legendary uh, New York radio guys standing yeah. there with a the recorder, and Joe gave him an interview. You got Cy Burek from Dayton with the newspaper over his head because of the sun, and, and next to him, Chuck Heaton from from Cleveland, and then you got Ray Suns next to me in the cardigan sweater from the uh, from the from the Sun Times. You got Jerry Green from Detroit, right off to his left. Uh, that the picture means so much to me uh, because of of what the Super Bowl has become, and the fact that then Arlene and I went to the country club, she my wife, and we went out to dinner that night. We heard Joe guarantee it, and when I tell people this, they're, they're quite surprised by it. It was more matter of fact that it was braggadocio. It wasn't Joe up there saying, I guarantee you we're going to beat the Baltimore Colt. No, he just said, I guarantee it. And off we went. So uh, that photo means a lot to me. Of course, Uncle Brent would be right there front and center for such an iconic moment. According to reports on the Saturday before the game, only one New York paper, Newsday, had picked up the story of the guarantee. Most papers in Manhattan didn't have it until game day itself. On the broadcast, Kurt Gowdy for NBC did say something about the prediction, but for the most part, most people had no idea Namath had said so. Once the game ended, however, it was all history. I pinned down Mr. X, our gambling sensei, in a parking lot on Sunday. I got in all my gear. I got it ready. I made sure the levels were right, and then... What? I am, I am such a fucking idiot. I just did not press record on the first five minutes of our Any of that? podcast. That's pretty today. good. That's why I was oh looking at that. God. And I said, I didn't hear you hit start. I, I didn't tell you to start. I also didn't hit yeah, start. It was pretty good, too. Was it was pretty good. Anyway. <laughs> what are you going to do? Car side Reboot? with Mr. Car, no, car side with Mr. X outside the Chipotle. Of all places that I would do it outside Qdoba with Andy, I'm now outside the Chipotle with Mr. X. We're going to talk prop bet betting in the Super Bowl, uh, how to make a small fortune on prop betting. Hint, start with a large fortune and then bet a lot of crazy prop bets and lose, then you'll have a small fortune. Also, we'll talk about the NBA and their 1% gambit and some random Belichick stuff because X is a big Patriot fan because you're from Boston. I am. New Hampshire. Yeah. Where are you from? In Maine. Maine. He's a Mainer. Okay. So we'll get to all that here, car side. First and foremost, though, Mr. X, it reminds me of this little meetup here. When I would first, when I first met you was to collect my winnings from your famous over-unders in baseball at a Tyson's Corner restaurant that shall remain nameless. Yes. And it was a great lunch because you handed me an envelope and I was like, that was easy. It was easy. That first year, you took all eight plays and went seven and one, <laughs> and said, "This is easy." I'm like, "This is like cheating." And since especially then, since you barely remembered even what they were, <laughs> of course not. Like I cared. All I all I know is you said, "I'm good on these over unders." Now you, I recall you were upset about the one. <laughs> <laughs> was I really? Well, you, you, the one was close. You really wanted the eight and no that, that See, now that's me being piggish right there. That's me. That is me not appreciating your brilliance. Was that the first year you gave your totals on my show? 
baseball totals? No, because the first year I did it on this show, you watched from the sidelines, and when they went 6-0, and the second year you said, I'm this in. This is easy. This is easy, right. <laughs> Can and I it, print some of this money? And in the 10 years plus since documented. 18 years, my friend. Eight, ten, yeah, the years fly by. God damn. All right, so the 18 years documented, your record of picking baseball team totals, over-unders, for season wins... So all you pick on my show is a documented... It's around 81%. We've done just over 100 games and one hit 80, 82 out of 101, something like that. And you've threatened to retire now a couple times recently. Three times. I'm trying three, to catch Brett Favre. Three, three, <laughs> three times because you're like, well, I can't keep this up. Eventually, it the dice will go cold. Oh, those dice should have gone cold over a decade right. ago. But we won't let you retire because you're like Jesse Pinkman in Breaking Bad. We're going to chain you to a dog wire and make you keep cooking the meth for us, keep doing these over-unders. So we can't wait for March as and the over-unders. As three TVs side by side, you can chain me. <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, let's get into Super Bowl prop betting, shall we? You have a list of some selected props. Props being proposition bets, okay? Prop bets being sub-bets for those that don't know, that involve things in the game itself, such as who will have the most receptions, Gronk versus Alshon Jeffrey, or crazy prop bets like over-under on length of the national anthem, Uh, prop bets that involve other sports entirely, such as combined number of total touchdowns versus goals scored in the Olympic hockey gold medal game. Right. And that was that was gold for years. The one thing I did every year was take Jordan. In his day, there was always there was always like an NBA Jordan. game, like Jordan points Total versus points game versus points. Jordan points. And Jordan always knew it. He never missed winning. If his if <laughs> because was, he knew what that prop bet was. He knew, and he was like, "Fuck it, I'm going to score as much as I want." It was an NBA game in January or February. If he needed X number of points or assists to beat the Super Bowl. It was going to happen. Right. Now, just for those that don't know, there is no official registry of prop bets. It's not like the Super Bowl itself or the NFL, God forbid, puts out their approved list of here's the prop bets. Every shop has their own set of props. Some of them overlap. Some of them are similar. But basically, every shop, every sports book in Vegas, every offshore sports book will cook their, their own proposition bets up. It's kind of like the 99-cent soda at McDonald's. It's just to get you in that door. Is what they do. Right. Well, I also understand that they limit very low the limits. Amount, low limits on the maximum amount you can bet. Exactly. So, what is the typical max bet you can bet on a prop bet? Maybe five hundred. Maybe if you're walking up a thousand, you don't really? see guys with bags of money walking up saying, "I'd like a million dollars." Blount over thirty-three rushing yards for ten thousand. It doesn't happen. And the reason is it's too easy to compromise no. somebody. Well, if you got that kind of money, you're, you, you've got to take on the game. You're not playing these silly for fun ones. That's meaning, why they have limits. Meaning you've got the game wired somehow from the inside. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's or, or or you've got somebody who's going to do something on purpose. Well, no, I just mean if, if it's a living, you're not looking for silly props. You're looking for the game itself. Okay. So they they Fair limit enough. the they limit the props because it's a for fun ninety nine cent soda come in the door and while you're in here maybe we can hook you. Okay. Yeah. That said, let's say you had a prop you were really strong about. Couldn't sure. you go to five different shops and max out, max out, max out, max out? Sure. Okay. I've Take never more felt language. that good on a prop. <laughs> <laughs> I like a lot of props, and we have. I've always hit the props, 
but I can't say that I've felt that strong. Okay, if you're looking over some props, yeah. what what is how do you go about figuring out? Yeah. Hey, this one looks like yeah. they've totally made a mistake. I'm gonna definitely hit this prop. Well, first of all, I'll say that there's two reasons to do props. One is for fun. Guys like to boast at the Super Bowl party. Oh yeah, I have Gronk over four catches or whatever. Right. And those are fun and flyers and or the the lucky coin tosses or is it an odd or an even? But the real reason to me, when I do props, it's because I don't really like the game or the total, but it's the last one. <laughs> you don't pass on the Super Bowl. When no. the line is at four and it belongs at four, when the total's at 48 and it belongs at 48, you say, hmm, what other games are there? there are the answer's none. None. That's and it. there'll be none for a long time. That's So let's right. take a good look and a hard look at the props. By the way, one week from kickoff, as we sit here, what is the line on the game? I've seen it drop to four and a half. From five? From five. Okay. From five. Four and a half, five. Yep. Uh, New England. Wouldn't shock me if it was at four, because by the way, remember this. Last year's of their... Patriots seven Super Bowls. Well, I don't count the pre-Belichick of their seven Super Bowls. Yeah, last year's overtime win was the largest point spread Isn't in that any of their seven yeah. games. Everything is six and under. Everything was three and four until the overtime six. But as unsophisticated as I am gambling on sports, Mister X, I do have one powerful theory, which is the error of recency, which you turned me on to because you called it the error of recency, A I R, right? And y'all misheard me. And, and I misheard you, and I took it to be the error and we switched of recency. And it's basically the same thing, which is people, human beings, remember the last thing they saw. You're not as good as last week, and you're not as bad as last week. Right, but 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 from a human perception standpoint, That's all you know. remember the last thing that happened. You don't remember everything that has happened, and so therefore there's a powerful error of recency. Sure. So we've got two things that are really pointing towards a take the Patriots minus all the way in. I, you're gasping right now. I'm going to tell you. Okay. Error of recency on both fronts. The Eagles killed the Vikings and the oh. Patriots barely escaped the gotcha. Jaguars. And the third factor of every Pats Super Bowl under Belichick and Brady has been close. It's time for a blowout. I it's, hear it is screaming. Here comes the whammy. This is the next chapter in the era of recency book. You, you, <laughs> if it happens. You've got that. If right. it happens. And if not, we'll just delete. But my football brain, and who says you should actually try to bet on games based on what you think will happen in football, my football brain says the Eagles have everything they need to beat the Patriots. And that this Patriot team is arguably one of the weakest teams he's brought to the mountaintop in his tenure, being Belichick and Brady. That they have f like five games, Mr. X, that they should not have won. Oh, yeah. Overturned calls for the Jets, other things that went their way, you know, weird decisions by other coaches. Sure. I think, though, when I hear you say that, you're, you're pegging the Patriots fairly. But let's rewind 10 days or two weeks in these playoffs and how many guys said, you know what, I'm, I have confidence in Nick Foles stepping in the lineup and taking a part of Belichick defense. Uh, nobody said that. Nobody. Not a single person. You don't person. think Bill Belichick with two weeks can come up with a way to confuse Nick Foles? Sorry. I think so. I, I can't be on the Foles side. Now, there's, an, there's another angle to this game that goes against the era of recency, which is the Cinderella theory. 
the pumpkin eventually, the carriage turns into a pumpkin eventually. And right now, Nick Foles is Cinderella at the ball and a magical horse-drawn chariot that midnight's coming, pumpkin time. And then in the, uh, hoodie time. Yes. Yeah, hoodie yeah, time. I, I, I have Actually, that goes with my air of recency. So I guess it's all going in that all direction. Well, I don't know. We can talk about the game later. Let's get back to the props. props. So, wh- what do you what do you got? What do you like? Okay, what do you the, see? The what last do you think? thing, the other thing I was going to say about that is the the biggest mistake people make when they play props. And I listen to guys come forward. Hey, I've got these five prop bets. What do you think? If they line up on the same side, like you need the Patriots' offense to do well, or you need the Eagles to do well, just play the side. So just play the play game. Side. Yeah, bet the Patriots minus. Why are you betting all these prop bets? If this all happens, right. they're winning. A guy came to me in the Denver Packer Super Bowl. Here, I want to play these six prop bets. And I looked at him, and they were all Packer overs. And I said, just play the Packers. <laughs> just play the Packers. Well, of course, Denver won that. He, yeah. he loses all the props. And, and, he, and the point is, if, if, you want to, if, they, if they all lean to a game going over the total, play it over the total. If they lean to Philly, play Philly. What I want in a prop bet is something that I have a feel for, and I can win it no matter who wins the game. Ah, okay. I, if I if I need a team to win the game, play the team to win the game. Right. Okay, that's a good play way to think about it. Game. So if, if you're going to go, if, if one team winning the game hurts your prop, throw it out. Okay. One, one prop bet that people are always intrigued by is MVP odds. Yes. Because you know that MVP is a heavily preordained award. That almost always goes to the iconic quarterback, even if he shits his pants in the game. And so, therefore, is there value to playing MVP prompts? Oh, you betcha. The Carolina, um, the Carolina, Carolina Patriot game, game, I had the middle of all middles because I had taken nice odds on Brady to be MVP right. and Carolina plus seven. <laughs> and the Patriots win by three. Uh-huh. And that was and the he only was the one MVP. he no, he was the only game he did not get the MVP. Oh, son of a bitch, who got it? Uh, that the year? receiver, um, Deion Branch. No, that was against I mean, the Eagles. That was the Eagles game. They, yeah, Deion Branch wanted the MVP against the Eagles, and I believe that spread was seven. I believe the Carolina spread was more narrow. Uh, we should probably know this. Jake Delhomme, it was seven. It was okay. So you sure it was Carolina? That's well, my memory. Because I thought I had to <laughs> okay. middle. And it missed because uh, the receiver, that was the only one receiver took home the MVP. Okay, well, I know that Branch okay. wanted... Branch won one. I know that Branch won it in the Eagles game. Okay, stand corrected. Okay, well, whatever the case is. Point is, I, I like you, the MVPs. Yeah. Uh, you're right. The quarterback, if you think a team's going to win the game, you can get a little better odds just taking the QB to win the MVP. That's right. a good play. Now, of course, there's the existence of a fluke MVP, a Larry Brown, some defensive sure. back, or this and that, or, or Deion Branch. Right. But uh, this year, it changed dramatically, and I, uh, I, uh, hypothetically, I might have taken Brady at 125 in the opening because they're, you know, they're heavily favored to win the game. Yeah. Now, that line, is last I saw, was at 165, okay. so it's lost a lot of its attractiveness. Okay. But, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to do All right, that. You keep talking about how to make prop bets. I'm going to fact check on the fly, in the oh. car, on my phone, Super Bowl MVPs over the past. Okay, continue. Fine. The other thing is um, when I said don't, don't, uh, you know, try to stay, try to get something that's going to win either way. Like if, if it's a passing team that's going to throw, and they're going to throw win or lose, that's fine. Um, yeah. All right. 
<laughs> I love Mr. X when his brain seizes up. He's like, okay, thinking, thinking, thinking. Oh, the other thing I like to do is look slap at... Slap yourself. Not to do math, but look at means and medians. You know, you see a Mean being average, median being the middle oh, point. Right. All equal you above and beyond. You see a guy who uh, rushes for 70 yards a game, and his total in the Super Bowl is probably 70. But maybe he went under 12, 13 times and had a 200-yard game in there. Really? So you, you, you want to lean in that direction. That was, um, uh, what's his, and also the other thing is you look at trends. A lot of these numbers are based on the yearly averages. Well, who are they throwing to in the last three weeks? Because they're going to throw to them again. Okay. The coaches in the Super Bowl are going to do what got them here, more so than all season long. There's none of this set up the run. They're going to do what they need to do. It's a short window. They're going to go for what do they do best. And if you know what they do best, count on it happening over and over in the Super Bowl. There's none of this, um, you know, try to get a bunch of people involved and run the ball. No. If you, if do what you, you do. Do what you do. Okay. Do what you do. By the way, it was the Eagles Super Bowl, Dion Branch, uh, 2005, Super Bowl 39. The previous one, 38, Brady won it, and that was against Carolina. Carolina. Got it. Got it backwards. But, yeah, it was – It was. the point remains Concept the same. Thing. Okay. Right. The other thing is the, the always watch out. The lesson learned, watch out for the Jackie Harris rule. The Jackie Harris rule. As what is the Jackie Harris rule? In 1999, uh, after only a decade or two doing this, we learned the Jackie Harris rule. Who's we? Uh, you and your friends. band. You and your band of degenerate buddies. Yes. <laughs> the Rams Titans Super Bowl. When I was studying the props at a, at a level that was off the charts. Off the charts. Jackie Harris, the veteran tight end for the Titans, caught. It was 19 years ago, and I kind of remember this. Caught 34 balls for the season. His high game for the season was four. His over-under on catches in the Super Bowl was four. Which makes no sense. No sense. No sense. And? we, I said, if he gets his, his season high four, it's a tie. He's not going to have his season high in the Super Bowl. He so averages you, two a game. So you hammered the under. You hammered the under. And? Look it up. First play from scrimmage. Throwback screen to Jackie Harris. We all looked around the room and said, we've We're lost fucked. on one play. <laughs> We're fucked. <laughs> We're totally He caught seven balls. It was over in the first half. Somebody knew something. So when you see a line. What do you mean somebody knew something? You don't set that line at four unless you know that their playbook is throwing the ball to Jackie Harris all game. Really? You don't, you, there's no reason for it to be four. It's a sucker. So the point on that is when you see a line that looks like it makes sense, great. Go one way. You see a line that is way, way off. It just smells. You just say, yeah, uh-huh. Uh, you don't fall for Jackie Harris. The guy caught seven balls in the Super Bowl. He played 16 games and caught 34. That would be the Kevin Sheehan vaunted smell test. Yes. How, <laughs> how do you feel about Kevin's vaunted smell test? He ba- Kevin Sheehan. Uh, do you really want to know? I, of course you really know. You're not going to hurt his feelings. The guy's got the, the jaw of Randall Tex Cobb. He doesn't care what you say about him or anyone else. For sure. those that don't know, Kevin Sheehan... Uh, morning show co-host on 980 has for years been doing something called the smell test play in which he basically finds out which game has the most public money on one side because contrary to public opinion or, or contrary to popular conception 
the books in Vegas don't split the money evenly on each side. Sometimes the disparity can be as much as 70-30 on one team or the other. And in that sense, the book is essentially playing as well on the game. That they don't care that it's lopsided. They're so strong in the team that doesn't have people on it, they're going to let that money ride. So Sheehan finds the totals, which I guess are published of where the money is. There's sources that show... I don't know how accurate those could be, but whatever. It depends on where your friends are. Depends yes. on where your friends are. But they, they're you can find on the internet lists of, here's what percentage of gamblers are on Tampa Bay this week, or whatever. And Sheehan always finds the highest public bet and goes against it. Now, your thoughts. Well, I've told Kevin this, and he ignores me. But <laughs> the point and I, is, and I will, not, is I will not be on. ignored. He was dead on 10 years ago. He knew smell tests like crazy. He can't figure out why he's cooled off. I've told him why he's cooled off. Why has he gone ice He cold? has gone. For, a smell test doesn't just mean 75% of the people are on one side of the game. A smell test really means, why is this line where it is? This line's in the wrong place. That's a smell test. Sheehan used to excel at that. When you say, Wisconsin's laying seven, why aren't they laying 17? Give me plus seven. Right. And, in, and as he succeeded over the years, both with his smell test and with his morning show, yes, he's mailing it in now. <laughs> and he's looking up the public action and, and just calling going it a smell test. He's and got he's it. saying, you know, the last two years I've cooled off. You're not doing smell tests. You're just doing public money. Okay. All right. Well, that's a, that's a tip from you to him. Not that that gets me. I've given him that tip. You know, Kevin. The other thing I've told him is smell way, test works in college. Smell test works in college football. Doesn't work in the pros? It doesn't work. There's not that Sometimes many smell not. tests in the pros. Well, the one thing that I found about His the college pros, record is awesome. Okay. He hasn't noticed. His pro record is not good. Okay. The, the one thing about the smell test in the pros, the one thing that almost always works is whenever there's a pro team with, quote, nothing to play for, it does not matter. Too many pundits say, oh, the Raiders are out of the playoffs they're going to Philadelphia. It's going to be cold. Not, they don't want to be in this game. They're going to lay down. And guess what? They go and win sometimes. That's a good point. I've always felt like pro teams lay down to rest for a playoff game. Right. Pro they teams don't, don't lay down because they're done. That's exactly right. They actually are playing for their job. That's right. And that's a different kind of thing. And when you come to the last few weeks of the NFL, give me well, – I took the Bengals the last week to beat uh, who they knock out. Baltimore. Yeah. Bengals are still playing. The line implied the Bengals wouldn't play. They played. Hell yeah. The teams that don't play are the ones that say, we don't really want to get hurt this week because we're in next week. Those teams lay down. Bengals aren't going to lay down. The last thing they're going to do is beat the Ravens and go home. Week 17, Giants-Redskins at the Meadowlands. Giants were in disarray. Guys were being set home, kicked off the team. There was an interim coach. Redskins talked all week, Mr. X, about, well, we feel it's important to get to another non-losing season, which was the biggest load of shit I've ever heard. And they go up there and get their ass handed to them in a Chinese takeout box because the Giants had been properly woken up by their interim coach getting rid of guys and their their interim GM going, you leave, you leave. And they played like hell on wheels. I don't know. Watching two ugly girls fight in a bar. I mean, it was... (laughs) It was. When you want to analyze those two. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair enough. Okay. So back to the uh, prop bets. What do we have that's interesting to you? I know you didn't want to release any today a week before, which I understand. Smart bettors don't really pounce until the last 48 hours, right? 
it doesn't make sense to go early unless unless you you know when you find something the lines are going to move on these that's the thing you hear people on the radio all the time saying oh i like over one and a half touchdowns jump on it before it's gone well but what they're not saying is it's at minus 190 odds or something like that it's not like these are 50 50 plays and if you leave the odds out you're not really being fair okay so they will move like the brady mvp has moved tremendously all right what do we got what I like, and again, the the big ones I can get for you in a few few days, two or three days. You can, you can steer your folks towards me. You know, you know how to do that. <laughs> Look at the bait and switch going on. I'm liking uh, I'm liking Foles to throw a pick. What's the odds on that? Uh, around minus one thirty, but the over under is basically a half. So will he or won't he throw a pick? Oh I, fuck yeah, he's I gonna throw a pick. Brady. Oh great. All right, I'm off that one. <laughs> <laughs> fuck off, man. <laughs> No, How it, can he not throw a pick? I, well, it's not quite a Jackie with, Harris, but with the with the, with the with the secondary of the Patriots, that's their strong suit on defense. Their front seven's now, average. Now, see again, that goes back to the if the Eagles, the Eagles can win the game and Falls can throw a pick, the Patriots can get a lead, right. And he can throw a late pick. And minus one thirty so, is not that steep because just minus one ten is your standard, yeah. you know, juice. I think they'll be a little conservative with Falls early, but you know, win or lose, he can throw a pick. Okay, I, I'll I like probably that lean that way. This one I'm going to look at a little harder, but I, I'm leaning under on number of receivers Brady hits, under seven and a half. That's the he, number of targets? Different. I no, mean, not, not targets, receptions. Yeah. That's, seven and a half is oh, that's, high, isn't it? It's always going to come in. He's going to get to seven. Because he throws to running backs a lot. Oh, yeah. And he's got, they've got four or five running backs that they use all the time, or four at least. So he flips and dumps. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, that one, I, again, back to the Belichick and the Super Bowl strategy. He spreads the ball all over the field. But Belichick's going to come out in two weeks going, we can do this. And he's going to do it over and over. Okay. So I don't see the normal spreading that you see uh, in a regular game. And so I'm leaning under on that. Here's my, here's my depth chart. Lewis, Gillisley, White, Burkhead, and Devlin, the fullback. Yeah, Even Bolden gets in there and plays yeah, a bit. Only three six. of those guys will catch. Gillisley will be inactive. Bolden will be inactive. Okay, Burkhead but, may or may not. Okay, but still. Three. Three for sure. By the way, he carries six running backs. Yeah, but there's always two inactive. No, Sometimes three. Well, I, No, I understand yeah, that. Right. I'm just I'm just comparing to the Redskins, who oh, yeah. only had two active. Oh, we have two, and you know what? Odds are running backs won't get hurt. Jay Gruden has no use for running backs uh, uh, and no use for running the football. They came out of camp with three. All right, so let's see. Hogan, Gronk, Amendola, Cooks. Cooks that's four. There's then, seven automatic. Then there's three running backs who will probably catch a pass. That's so I'm seven. Be- I'm basically so the, saying Devlin and Burkhead. So the over-under well, is seven and a half. Dorsett or Burkhead is what beats you. He's your so eight. you like the under. I'm leaning under. No okay. Dorset. I'm not going Dorset and Burkhead in a game this big. Okay, fair so enough. That's my thought. Okay. What um, else? Okay, you want a fun one? First, yes. First kickoff, touchback, Goskowski. You can actually get even money on that. Now, the Patriots have been kicking to the one on purpose steadily this year. I think they talked about that, how they've had Goskowski practice and get to do the we're going to make you return it play. 
You're Xing that out right now. Now, I may be wrong about that, Mr. X. I may be wrong about that, but I distinctly think I remember hearing them talk about that's been a new Belichick strategy. Now, he doesn't do it every kick, obviously. That is very good point. I think they do that, and I think they get a little greedy during the year. I get When you come Super Bowl, you just say, go, done, start on the 25. Okay. I don't need to put you on the 25. So, so you like that one. Okay, so you, you like the Patriots or first kick by anybody? No, no, uh, that's a Patriot odd. That's a Goskowski odd. Okay, so first Goskowski kick, touchback. Correct. Um, Is touchback the same as refuse to return? Meaning if a guy catches it in the end zone and takes a knee? touchback. Touchback, okay. Correct. Okay, what else? Okay, I went over on Brady's passing yards. I went over 280 and a half. Okay. Because, again... I don't think they're even going to tinker with a handful of runs. They are not going to run the ball. And if they win, they'll throw and keep throwing. If they lose, you know, look out. They'll yeah, if they, get, if they get down. But usually you lose that play when you get a 14 nothing lead and you do the NFL get conservative. Right. I don't see them getting conservative. No, Belichick I see them, you know, he uses the one-yard pass as his running game. Yeah. I see them throwing all day long. Okay, so... 280 is the over-under. Last year's passing total on Brady went way over because they were behind. Oh, God. He threw 55 yeah. times, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. So you can win that either way. I'm not saying they're going to succeed in the game, but even if they do poorly in they the game, be losing, they're going to They could be losing and mount a furious comeback passing and hit the over and still right. lose. Right. You usually or, lose your passing total okay. when you're winning the game. Okay. Because you go the other way. And one more juicy one before we have a quick note on the NBA and their gambling proposal uh, before we're done here in the car. I am going to take Nick Foles to have more passing yards in the second half than the first half. Interesting. Because I just feel like they're not going to throw him right in the fire in the first half. They're going to try to get to the second half. They're going to try to run the ball, keep Brady on the sidelines early. And then, win or lose, he's going to have to put it up in the second half. Because you can't win the Super Bowl in the first half, but you can lose it in the first Correct. half. If you're flinging it all around and he throws a pick six. That's a confidence issue. He gets strip sacked from behind, which I think Foles is very susceptible to because he's a big stork of a guy. And with a slow release that they can possibly do that, they'll be more conservative. I like that as well, so you should probably cross that and off the, your list the, as well. Yeah, and the, and the bigger point to that is, in that first half, if you do make that big play, you reminding, it's not just that you fall behind, you've just now reminded him that he's Nick Foles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Hey, pal. You don't want him Wake up. That. Wake up. You suck. <laughs> you remember that, right? All right, let's, uh, real quick on the props, then we're done with that. Um, do you, what do you believe about the exotic props, like length of anthem, Gatorade color, that nonsense. You're going to laugh, but again, if you show me any of those at 50 50, fine, have fun. You show me any of those with like odds, and I say they know something. They know what the wardrobe is. They well, know something. The anthem thing to me is crazy they know because she's there's, drag it out. there's rehearsals. Right. And they can just twist it a little bit to go over under. I don't like that one. It seems no. too fishy. No. Seems too fishy. What about Gatorade color? No? Same thing. Same thing. If you, if you see a big odds on blue, 
There's an equipment boy somewhere that's told you it's not blue or whatever. Right. I just, I don't believe. Or, or, or we don't have blue Gatorade because yeah. Alex Guerrero says it's not as efficient as orange. I, I'm not big on the ward. No, I just don't like those because usually you see a line that suckers you in. By the way, here's one last thing yeah. that's important. I don't know if they do this as much anymore because I'm not as in those things as I was 20 years ago. But I'm not talking about Las Vegas. I'm talking about all the offshore shops. You see all these. Um, Super Bowl is a classic time for what they call teasers. They, you'll put out a tr- very attractive odds. It's marketing. They're trying to draw in a new account. If it should be 3-1 to one and you say, I found a place that's 6-1, to one, they're just drawing in a new Got account. It. Okay. And it may or may not be the best place to be shopping. Are there limits to the teasers so you don't punish them? Well, no, a... the, the, I, I, I knew back in the 90s a guy told me 99% of all accounts are never paid back because you win that teaser play. And, and then now you, start you play until it's gone. That's right. So I'll sucker you in now, and next thing you know, you go, well, you know, there's some NBA next week. <laughs> Right. And, and so college over, basketball's here. Yeah, they yeah. overpaid you six to one instead of four to one, but they got your money, and now you're going to play college basketball until April, and then say, okay, now that's gone. All right, you got two minutes on the okay. NBA's plan to legalize gambling and take a one percent cut. Go. I think there's a lot of people with their hands out in all different directions, um, from the NBA to the unions, the referees, whoever runs that, et cetera. The refs. The refs are going to want more money? I don't see why not. Um, whoa, whoa, who says they deserve it? It's like, fuck you, Stripes. Just call the game like always. You don't need to know about this new revenue. Well, What's their I, argument going to be? I haven't heard this, but my theory would be, I always look at things, the, the model. If I'm in charge of the referees and you're going to take this path, I have new costs. I have things I have to do. I have to vet my guys. I have to monitor them closer. The day you come up to me and say, did you notice who that referee's been spending time with over the last six months? Are you shocked he's on the take? Why didn't you do your homework? I have to do that now. I can't just turn my head and go, huh, wow, look at that. Didn't see that coming. You're increasing my vulnerability. I've now got real costs to incur, and I need you to help me pay for them. It it would also be be very easy for the next Tim Donaghy God forbid there's ever a next Tim Donaghy, but if legalized gambling comes to the NBA, he could have 10 buddies who are his shadow accounts, and when he wants to throw somebody out of a game, a star, for talking back, which is now an increasing phenomenon in the NBA in the second quarter, he could tell those 10 guys, tonight's a good night to bet against Golden State because Durant is on a razor-thin margin from the word go. It's not hard. To, stop it's it? not hard to picture that. And and just by the way, on that, the, the you know, and players are players. But the if if I was in that position, I can influence a total so easily. Rather than trying to say Golden State over Cleveland, whatever, I can make that game go over when I put everybody at the foul line all night. <laughs> I can make the game go over. Sure. I I. It's sometimes you say I wanted this team to win. But the other team comes out and shoots the lights out. There's only so much you can do. But I can make that game go over or under. I can make that game go under when I put you on the bench in foul trouble. That's true. I can I can influence a total anytime I want to. Right. But, but I, I but I, I also think that the NBA overestimates. And a win is a win. Right. <laughs> I also think on this whole scheme, the over the NBA greatly overestimates how many people bet on their sports. 
they look at the total gross gambling revenues in Vegas, and they go, well, we must be a part of this. I mean, how many people bet regular season NBA? I guess people do, but it's not as much as football. I would love to see the representative handles for each sport. I can't believe the NBA is that high up. So there's going to be revenue they could skim if they ever got their 1%, if it ever was legalized, but it wouldn't be nearly as much as they think, and other guys with their hands out, like Tony Soprano, are going to cut into that money. I think you're right. also think the other – it's hard to judge. The NBA – I mean, you, you've got a seven-day-a-week product, not a – That's true. Not a couple games. The volume seven day a week and seven months. huge in football. But and then the finals would be big as well. Finals true. would be huge. Yeah. All right, very good. Mr. X, uh, are you going to ever start releasing over-unders for football? And what are we going to talk about? You're so good at baseball totals. Why aren't you as good at football totals? Fewer games, more volatility, injuries factor, yada, yada, yada. A lot of reasons, but every football team is going to be with it. You look at the end of a football season, 32 teams, I bet 24 of them are within a half a game or a game of their total every year. It's like gambling. (laughs) It's like gambling. And what do you recommend about gambling? Only bet as much as? Only as much as you can afford to win. And there you go. You know, many people have said to me, is Mr. X real? Or is he just a buddy of yours that plays a character? Oh, no. Oh, no. He's very real. In fact, you might have met him at Zabe Vegas several times. In fact, I think he's coming this year. Are we going to have Zabe Vegas? I am working on it. Just give me a few days. By the way, he's a guy with a family and a job and a guy who gambles legally, illegally, and he just doesn't need his name out there. There's no good in it, but loves all the angles in sports, loves to analyze things from a betting perspective. And I've booked bets through him before, a handful of them in the past, usually only on big swings I wanted to take on certain games, like... The Deflategate game, Patriots-Colts. I mean, I loaded in on New England, and that was a big winner. Uh, Back in the day, I loaded in on the Lakers' money line to win the Western Conference Finals 2002 against the Spurs. They swept them. They went through San Antonio like shit through a tin horn, as old uh, Nick Saban would say. But I, I don't gamble on a regular basis. Why, it's illegal. It's illegal. I would not do that. But he does, and he knows all the ins and outs. And uh, He's analytical about just the ways to gamble, the smart ways to gamble, the not-so-smart ways to gamble. And really, the only way to smartly gamble is to not gamble. Don't gamble, Anthony. You, you should know, Anthony. Never gamble. You know, I've got that bite right here at my fingertips. You people have been saying, I want more bites from your sound machine. And I'm like, yeah, I should definitely do that. They're right here at my fingertips. I just have to look them up by myself on the fly. Here we go. Come on. Sopranos, Gambling, Furio, Never Gamble. Oh, no, it's under Never Gamble. N-E-V. See? The man is a gambler. That's right. He got over his head in debt. He owed me money and he refused to pay. He avoided me. That's why you should never Campbell, Anthony. Yes. So that said, uh, Mr. X is our over-under picker for baseball season totals. And for those of you new to the Zabe cast, and I know that there's people coming in the door from 
other parts of podcast land going, yeah, my buddy recommended this podcast. He said said you'd really like it. Mr. X has been picking season totals on baseball on my show in D.C. since 2002. Actually, 2000, as a matter of fact. And he has hit at a documented 81% rate. He only picks two or three, if that, or maybe one some years, over-unders on season totals. And he has a knack for it. It's, uh, it is remarkable. He says he wants to start charging for his picks. He's like, why am I just giving these away? Help me figure out a way to do this. And I said, ah. I said, first of all, you shouldn't do this because it's a sure thing that once you start charging, oh, you're going to start losing. No question about it. And then once you start charging and you start losing, people are going to start to get pissed at you, saying, I can't believe this, that 81% was completely bogus and made up. And then they're going to start getting pissed at me because I won't be able to associate with him because, yeah, yeah, I paid him 49 bucks for those picks, and they sucked. But he does have a point in that at a documented 81%, that you should have to pay for that instead of just throwing them out there. Yeah, we'll see. One last thing for today. The term fake news is all the rage, and yet nobody can really define it, right? Is it just news you don't like? Is it news that has maybe one thing technically incorrect, despite the gist of the news being accurate? Is it a story that is old news, but repackaged in a way to get into the bloodstream of the current news cycle? Is that fake news? I think the answer is probably yes to all of that, and then some. Well, now in our viral society, companies and organizations and even media outlets are getting more and more savvy about creating fake mistakes that become news in a viral sense that are essentially harmless to the company or the brand at stake. But they quickly go viral, earning millions and millions of dollars in free publicity. The latest example happened on Friday, I think this broke, in which Vanity Fair went online to admit, oops, looks like we made a mistake. Apparently Vanity Fair released on their social media accounts the cover of their upcoming issue for the Oscars that had Tom Hanks and Oprah Winfrey and Reese Witherspoon and some fourth person on there. And in the photograph, readers quickly noticed online, hey, how come Oprah Winfrey has three hands? She had a hand on her lap, she had a hand around uh, Reese's waist, and she had a hand uh, somewhere else. I'm not looking at the photo at the moment. But it was pretty easy and quick to spot. The magazine said, oh, oops, our bad. Why? (laughs) We'll have to get our Photoshop editors on that. What a mistake. Bullshit. Photo editors don't make mistakes like that. Photo editors crawl into each picture like it's science fiction, where a rocket ship will start flying through your bloodstream. Ever seen those? I think they made movies about that cartoons about that. Ooh, I'm going by your red platelets. That's how molecular professional photo editors get. They zoom and peep and zoom and peep and zoom and peep in a dark room in front of a huge monitor for hours and hours and hours. They look at hundreds of different proofs of the particular photo shoot they're doing. They keep asking editors and associate editors, which one do you like the best? Should we do this? Should we do that? Then they get in there with the adjustments on the photo to Uh, Tweak things like the gamma or the knee, hue, saturation, luminance, not to be confused with brilliance, 
which is not necessarily brightness. And then there's the whole element of color science. I had no idea of this thing called color science until as I was, you know, nerding out over my consumer camera level aficionado of the Sony A7R series to find out that some people think that Sony's color science is for shit. They think that Sony's color science, that the way they render greens and blues and reds and yellows and all that other stuff, can't compare to the best of the best, which is Canon. Canon has the most iconic, best color science, meaning the way in which Canon sensors display your reds, your blues, all the different colors, because there's different ways to show a blue, a different cast of color, a darkness, etc. I actually, because I'm a dummy, paid... $19 for a PDF that had the complicated instructions on how to set the gamma curves and the knees and all the other settings in my Sony A6300 camera. Set them in a way so that it replicated almost to a T the Canon color science. Because I want the best. I want the best color science. I want to. I want to shoot pictures on a Sony and have people go, hey, "That's a good picture." Is that Canon you're using? Nope, it's a Sony. And I paid twenty bucks for a PDF just to say, "Here's how you do it." Sucker. So there's no way that Vanity Fair actually made this mistake. This is fake news. This was a planned stunt that worked. Oh, by the way, because there's not one chance in a million that all these editors at Vanity Fair said, oh, I didn't notice that Oprah has three hands. That said, mission accomplished. Vanity Fair still publishing. Looks like a nice photo shoot. I might buy the uh, edition. Didn't go to print that way, oh, by the way. Tells you even more that it was a stunt from the get-go. Thank you for making my humble Zabecast a part of your podcast diet. Please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download your podcast. Tell two friends and help me make this a monster. Email me at zabe at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at zabe. Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo. Topical suggestions, factual corrections, technical feedback, boys and go to hells. They're all welcome. Now get off your phone and go live in the real world for a bit and we will see you next time.